Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Today's sermon is in Luke 1, David's throne. If you've been with us, you know we've been kind of in a process working through. We're in the book of Luke, chapter 1. We've been in the book of Luke, chapter 1, since I believe August. So it's kind of slow. Things are going slow. And there's a number of reasons for that. Uh, primary reason is because there's so much happening in the first chapter, not just because it's a long chapter, but because it's so thick with theology. We tend to blow through the first chapter of Luke this time of year every year. It's a Christmas chapter, right? It's where you read about the birth of Jesus, and, and rightfully so. But there's an assumption as we go pr- through that process that we know everything that's going on there. And there's so many things that we don't know. And so we've looked at the virgin birth, the necessity of it. Of course, we talk about the virgin birth every year, but the average, average Christian cannot tell you why or that or how important it is and why you can't dispense with it and how incredible the theology of it is, uh, as significant as the resurrection, as the crucifixion, so is the virgin birth. You cannot dispense with it, not in any way. In fact, if you do dispense with it, you have dispensed with the resurrection and the crucifixion. They, they're meaningless. Now we've been looking at that, we're looking at the Trinity, which all comes into play there, and now we're ready to look at one more thing that maybe um, gets left out. Uh, we gloss through it, and uh, we're not going to do that because we're going to make sure we're covering all our bases as we move here. The Holy Spirit is expecting that we understand this stuff, and honestly, uh, we don't. And so as we grow in Christ, part of what it means to grow in Christ is that we go deeper in Christ, we go deeper into theology, and I understand there's a need for the, if you will, the milk of the word. There's also a need for the meat and potatoes of the word. And we tend to do more, more meat and potatoes here at this church. And we got a lot of visitors here that are like, wait a minute, wait a minute, what is he talking about here? And um, we, you know, and I know that this is a visitor's church and we're, we're also a local church and we try to get as deep as we can. We also try to make it as easy as we can and not try to run over anybody. I would recommend to you the past uh, nine or 10 sermons that are on our website and also on our YouTube channel, and you can look at, either watch those or listen to those. A lot of good stuff in there, not because I'm preaching it, but just simply because it's, it's, a, it's from the scriptures. And we try to tick, stick to the scripture here because we believe the scriptures are what's gonna change your life. And not my preaching and not you know anything else. And the fact that we're gathered together really is insignificant apart from uh, God intervening in our lives through his, through his word. So we're in Luke chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 26, and we've read this several times together, and it's, of course, the quintessential passage for this time of year. Here we are, the 1st of December. We're starting Christmas Advent uh, uh, process in most churches, and so we're in the right spot. It's just that if you've been with us in our church, we've been in this spot for a long time, <laughs> pulling something new out of it every time. It says, now in the sixth month, angel Gabriel sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. Why should that matter? Well, I would say it matters to Luke. That's why I wrote it down. It matters to the Holy Spirit who inspired it, so it ought to matter to you. You just may not know why. We're going to make sure that changes today. I want you to underline that or just keep it at least in your head of the descendants of David. Why did that matter? Well, we're going to see. The virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. 
and he will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him, there it is again, the throne of his father David. Why do they keep picking David? There's a lot of great Jews in the Bible. A lot of great ancestors to Jesus. You have a whole genealogy there in Matthew. These wonderful men and women. Why of all the descendants or all the heirs, ancestors that Jesus has, do they continue to pick out David? Now, look over with me at, at same chapter here in Luke, but look over at, at verse 67 uh, through 71. Now this is John the Baptist, who's six months older than his cousin Jesus, he's born, and now they're having his circumcision. And, and at, at that time, his father's been silent for nine months. Remember, that's part of his punishment for not believing the angel that, that he and his wife could conceive in their old age. And so now his mouth is finally open. You would expect that he'd be singing praises of having this son, and it's not that he isn't, but at least at first he doesn't. Notice what he says here. So he's at his son's circumcision and yet he begins to praise God not about his son but about whom his son is going to represent remember his son is going to be the the forerunner of the Christ of the Messiah of this coming king and so he says Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying blessed be the Lord God of Israel who has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people well that's not what his son did it's what his follower would do that is the 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 king Jesus he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. This man is not related to David. I, I shouldn't say he is, but he's a Jew. In that sense, he is. This is a man of the tribe of Levi. He's not descended from David. Uh, his wife's not descended from David. They're, they're of the line of Aaron. Why is, why is he talking about David? Because, again, they keep bringing up this same topic. Why, why, does, why does David matter? And, and then th we see the same thing as we saw last week in, in Matthew. Your whole New Testament starts out with this whole acknowledgement that Jesus is the son of David. Look at that. The record of the genealogies of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David. Now, if I, you hear someone's the son of somebody, what does that mean to you? As a Western-thinking person, you think his dad was David. Well, yeah, it should think, you should think that way, but not when you come to the Bible. When you hear son, you should say, is he his son? Because they have, in their culture, they had no delineation between Son in the sense of he's your direct father. Son in the sense that he's your great, 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 great grandfather. They called them all sons. It was the way they said he was descendant of. You can hear it that way, but that's not the way they said it. So the record of the genealogy of Jesus, who was the descendant of David, the son of David. Why has he picked that one out? Lots of other people in the Bible that he was descended from. Why David? And then later on, in the dream, remember last week we were together talking about uh, Joseph. It says, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in his dream, saying, Joseph, son of David. He, he was a descendant of David. Actually, Jacob is his father. We just read a genealogy there in chapter 1. Jacob is his father's name. Why, why does he go through all the descendants? There's 52 listed in chapter 1 of, of, of Matthew and pick out of all those, uh, I'm sorry, uh, ancestors. Why does he pick David? Why is everybody picking David? What makes David special? By the way, David's been dead for a thousand years by this time. Well, he's pretty cold in the grave, I would suggest to you. Already been in heaven. Why, why, why is David of interest compared to everyone else? Where here's something you need to know. There's something at play or in play here that is in addition, as far as Jesus coming to the earth, in addition to saving your soul. That is what he came to do. 
as far as you're concerned, that's the most important thing he came to do because that is heaven and hell for you. That is life or death. Jesus, God's son, conceived in a virgin womb, became a man so that he could die and shed his blood and that you place in your faith on what he did. It's a works religion. It is. It's his works. You're trusting them, not your works. You got a works religion that you're trusting your works, you're going to hell. Somebody needs to tell you, and I just did. We trust the works of Christ. Jesus, God's Son, virgin born, virgin conceived, who is none other than God's Son Himself, who is the eternal God, laying Himself down on our behalf, sacrificing Himself. That is the most important part of what Jesus came to do, as far as you're concerned, as far as I'm concerned. But it is not all that Jesus came to do. Jesus came to do, there's a lot bigger, I shouldn't say that. There's a lot more stuff going on than just you. As far as you're concerned, there's not. As far as the Bible is concerned, there definitely is. There's a lot more in play here, and what's in play here, bottom line, is not just your salvation, but also the rulership of the entire planet. That's what's in the air, or I should say, that's what's in play. Not just gaining kingship in your life, but gaining kingship over everything. I mean every last molecule of what you know to be creation. That's what's in play here. That's pretty good, pretty significant. And, and, and in order to understand why David plays him, and David's significant in this, but in order to understand that, we need to back up a little bit and understand what has happened, the process, and why we're to the place that it matters that a descendant of David would come, uh, namely uh, Jesus. So let's do that. Let's back up here. And let's look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. This is Adam and Eve. Fill the earth, subdue it, and rule. Do you know that what happened? That's the first thing that happened to Adam and Eve. They were commissioned to be rulers over this planet. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. That's originally the way that humanity was created. Of course, they faltered at that. They lost that through what was called the fall. They sinned, they disobeyed God, and they chose a dark way, and guess what they got as a result of it? They got a dark Lord. So now by default, because mankind has given up their right to this rulership, the, the rulership is passed to this dark Lord, and Jesus acknowledges them as such. Uh, John chapter 16, now understand, God owns the whole universe. He's never given up ownership. God owns this planet. But I don't know if you've noticed lately, he's not ruling here. Have you noticed that? If he is, I'm upset. If this is, if this is no better than he could do, listen, he's not ruling here. I hope he's ruling in your life, and that is your option every single day that God rules and reigns in your life, and that is a great privilege that's been afforded to us, again, through the sacrifice of God's Son, Jesus. Great, incredible privilege, and you're not, you're not giving that option in your life? That's a huge mistake, and that's shame on you. But he is not ruling on this earth. There is another ruler. Jesus refers to him here as the ruler of this world, not talking about himself and not talking about the Father, but definitely talking about the devil. I mean, if you remember that when God sends Jesus out into the wilderness, and Satan comes to tempt him. He sends four different temptations his way. And one of those temptations was he takes Jesus, puts him on a high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world. Remember that? And then he says this to him. Watch. The devil said to Jesus, I will give you all this domain and its glory. Hmm. 
for it has been handed over to me. Hmm. Notice there is no Jesus saying, objection, false statement. He doesn't say that. He does object to the, the whole line of statements here, but only the, not to the whole line, but just to the last part. So, but Satan again says, for it has been given to me, over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Here's the part Jesus objects to. Therefore, if you worship before me, I shall, it shall all be, Jesus says, you know, you shall worship the Lord and serve him only, of course, quoting from the scriptures. But he doesn't object to the previous statements. He could have, but he doesn't. And the reason why it is, like I said, it's because he's already acknowledged him as the ruler of the world. That's what he is. That's what he currently is. So I can tell you why things are not going well. We got a ruler problem, guys. We have a king issue. The king of this planet is not a nice guy. He is ruling here, according to the scriptures. He is. According to Jesus, he is. So understand, we first received rule, and then we forfeited that rule. That rule passed by default to a dark lord. His name is Satan. That dark lord has now been ruling for who knows how long, a very long time. But understand this, God is not going to forever allow that. It is being allowed right now, and nothing happens apart from what God allows. And like I said, notice what Satan says. It has been given to me. Given to him by who? By God. So he gave it to us. We gave it up, choosing the way of a dark lord. So what do we get? We get a dark lord. It's called consequences. So you make a decision, and so here we are, running with our decision. And it's not going well, is it? Of course not. So, God will not forever allow this, though. And that is why Jesus was sent, to remove from this world its usurper. Oh, it tells us this in many places. Hebrews 2.14 is a great example. Therefore, since the children, that's us, share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise partook of the same. He became human, just like us, still is. That through death, he died for our sins. He might render powerless him who had power of death, had the power of death, namely that is the devil. He's the ruler here. So he stops ruling in your life when you trust Jesus. Prior to that, there's only two options. I show there always was only two options. Either you're a child of God or, or you're what? What about the middle ground, Pastor Bill? I don't like Satan or God. Well, there's not a middle ground. Well, I don't think it's so. Well, it doesn't matter what you think. The fact is, you're either a child of God or you are a child of Satan, and that is your options. So he ceases to be a ruler in your life when you accept the other king. That makes sense? The king that has come to take away our sins, who's died on our behalf, that's why it's so important that you make a personal decision to accept Christ. It's not enough to know that he is the king. It's not enough to know that he died for your sins. You have to personally accept him for that. Have you done that? You need to get it done. So he's going to remove the rulership from him. And Jesus, again, died to redeem us, yes, from our sin and death, but he also died to redeem everything else. Watch what this says. Romans 8. For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. So creation is waiting for us. That's what it says. So it's waiting for the whole process of redemption to be completed in us, which includes not only the salvation of our souls, but the resurrection of our bodies. There's a whole process here. That's what Romans is referring to. But Paul says, listen, the creation is waiting for that to get done. Why? Because in hope that the creation itself also be set free from its slavery to corruption. You're set free through Jesus Christ. Guess who else is going to set, what else is going to be set free through him? The whole creation. 
the king, you see. Yeah, the reason why we're having environmental problems, political problems, is because we got a king problem. Our king who is evil and corrupt and destroying everything, we shouldn't be shocked at the way things are. Well, listen, there's another king in play here. He's coming. He's coming to redeem. He's coming to fix and change and end corruption, not just in our lives, but in everything on every single level. And so we front-loaded some of this theology in order to get to the place where we can effectively say now, the reason why there is so much talk about David in the first of, the, of your New Testament, both in the first of Matthew and the first of Luke, is because God made a covenant with David that is significant to this kingship significant to this rulership and this redemption. God made a promise to David that one of his descendants would arise as king to his throne and that that person, that person would be the king who would redeem everything, not just our souls, but every, down to the last molecule. So let's take a look so we can understand why. So we got these Jews talking about David and they're celebrating David and you and I are saying, well, pick another ancestor. We're tired of hearing about David. They can't. Because God has, has locked into one ancestor saying it's through him that's going to come the king. And so they're waiting for that one to come. So, so let's take a look and see what we can learn about this, what's called the Davidic covenant. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Here's the promise. So, so David was uh, living in a palace of cedar. He had, had conquered all of his enemies, and God had blessed him. He recognized that, and he wanted to honor God with his life. He's living in this palace of cedar. He looks over, and he sees the Ark of the Covenant and all the utensils of, of the worship of the Jews were all in this little ugly tent. By the way, a 300-year-old tent. I don't know when the last time you pulled your tent out of your attic, but you think it's threadbare. Try 300 years' worth of tent traveling around, assembling and dissembling. This little, uh, it truly was ugly. From the beginning, it was ugly. Inside, it was pretty, but outside, just this nasty little tent full of dust, no laundromats. They had to hand wash the stuff if, if they even could. So all the worship of God was inside this ugly little thing, and David says, this is not right. I have to fix this. He's got basically limitless funds, uh, limitless manpower, limitless time. And so he says, I'm going to build a temple for God. And so he goes to Nathan, his personal prophet, and he says, I'm going to do this. And Nathan says, knock yourself out. God's with you. That night, though, God comes to Nathan, the prophet, and says, Nathan, I need you to go back and tell David that he's not going to do that. And in fact, his son Solomon is going to do that. He says, not only that, but you're going to tell him these things. Watch what God tells David. David says, I want to build a house for God. David says, no. God says, no, I'm going to build you a house, unlike you ever thought. Not made out of cedar, but made for eternity. Watch what he says. I will raise up your descendants, speaking to David, after you, who will come forth from you. He will be of your bloodline. And he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. By the way, that eliminates Solomon. Of course, his immediate descendant, Solomon, did build a temple, physical temple. This can't be talking about Solomon. Because Solomon reigned 40 years and then he died. David reigned 40 years and he died. Saul reigned 40 years and he died. These three guys, 40 years apiece. They were not forever. So we're looking for a guy who's going to live forever. That's going to be a hard search. Your house, he says, and your kingdom, verse 16, shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. So this is a promise that God makes 
to David, and the Jews are waiting for the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. Let's break it down so that we can understand the things that have to take place here, what God is promising. Number one, understand that this, is, this throne, this, this uh, dynasty that God is promising David is an earthly dynasty. How else could it be anything else? Because He says, I will raise up to you who will sit on your throne, right? Where did David sit? David sit on a throne in heaven? No, where was his throne? It was over there in the Middle East. Here's one of, the, one of the important aspects or properties when you come to interpret the scriptures, that as you interpret it, make sure that your interpretation agrees with the original hearers. In other words, the original hearers, in this case, is Nathan and David. What would they have heard when they heard that there is a king coming, descended from David, that's going to sit on his throne? They would have heard, among other things, that that king is going to be sitting on an earthly throne because that is exactly where David sat. He'd sit on a throne in heaven. This is not a reference to Jesus sitting on a throne in heaven. Jesus has always sat on a throne in heaven. It's not talking about that. It's talking about an earthly throne. So important you understand this. It's earthly. It's not figurative. It's not, don't spiritualize this. This is a literal throne. How else would David have interpreted this? David had a literal throne. David ran, ruled over literal people and over literal land, did he not? David would have not interpreted any other way, nor should he have. The problem is, is that we get a hold of it, and we're a bunch of knuckleheads, and we start calling it something that it ain't. Stop that. Let it be what it is. It is going to be a literal throne. It's going to be an earthly throne. It's going to be a political throne, but there's not going to be politics. You see, David was not a politician. They didn't vote for him. God put him there. Same is going to be true with the descendant of David who's coming to this eternal throne. So it is, it is a David, it is a literal throne over literal people and literal lands. So number one, it's earthly. Number two, it's Jewish. Why? Why are you going to go out and call it Jewish? Because David was Jewish. He didn't come to me. I'm just a redneck American. And come to me and say, I want to raise up one of your descendants. And we you say, well, the Messiah is going to be a redneck American. David's Jewish, guys. He was a Jewish king raising, reigning on an earthly throne. So, so is going to be true for the one who comes in his line. He's not going to be American. He's not going to be Mexican. He's not going to be German, right? He's going to be Jewish. And hello, what do we find out in the New Testament? you got a guy by the name of Jesus who very much is Jewish. He died as a Jewish man, did he not? And when he resurrected, he came back as an American, right? No. He rose again in the same body, albeit perfected, unable to die again. And it was a Jewish body with Jew whose blood in particular, not just Jewish blood, David blood. Wow. Maybe you didn't know that. Now you do. We love the Jews here. Island Baptist Church, we do. So let me just say this very clearly to you. If you hate the Jews, I guess this will be the last Sunday that we see you. I'm sorry. We will not get along. I can promise you that. The number one reason why we love the Jews is because our Savior is Jewish. On the throne of God today is a Jewish man. Deal with it. So that man's coming, and he's going to sit on a throne that belonged to the Jews, in a, in a particular Jew by the name of David. So number one, it's earthly. Number two, it's Jewish. Number three, it's Jerusalem. It's a Jerusalem throne. He can only be in one place. And where did David reign? He didn't reign in New York City. 
So how else would David interpret this other than he's going to be a Jewish descendant of mine, he's going to sit on my throne, and my throne was in Jerusalem. That's exactly where you should expect Jesus to be as well. That's exactly what the scriptures uphold. So number one, it's earthly. Number two, it's Jewish. Number three, it's Jerusalem. Number four, it's eternal. Now, David was all the previous things. He was Jewish. He was on the earth. He was in Jerusalem. Not eternal. By the time, like I said, this prophecy that we're predicting here, that, that we're reading here in Luke, he's been dead for a thousand years. He's been gone. His son died. 70-something years old. His son's sons died. They reigned in, in anywhere from 55 to 10 years or 4 years, depending on which descendant he had. All of them, none of them were eternal. There is coming one, according to this prophecy, who's going to be forever and shall be established forever. It requires, listen to me, an eternal person. David's not that. Solomon's not that. Only one can qualify for that. Son of God, virgin conceived and born, who lives, who lived to die and then die, died and never will die again, who is the eternal one. It requires an eternal person of the bloodline of David nonetheless, but nonetheless eternal himself. So with reference to this now, over 40-something Old Testament passages and over 100 verses in your Old Testament that refer specifically to this promise. So, so why is it important to these guys who are writing the New Testament or who are, who are experiencing the events of the early, this early events of Jesus' birth? Because it is. It's a big deal. And I submit to you, it should be a big deal to you because it's in the Bible. So over 40 Old Testament passages, over 100 verses, here's a smattering of some of those. Let's compare it to what we've already learned. So Psalm chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Here's one of them. God speaking, first of all, but as for me, it's like, have you ever sat around a room and everybody says, what do you want to do? I don't know, what do you want to do? What do you do? What's, what's your opinion? What's your opinion? And God is in a part of that circle. He says, I don't know about y'all, but as for me, that's, by the way, I don't care what the rest of the room says, it's going to go his way, isn't it? So if I say as for me, that may be me by myself. But if God, the ruler of all and the owner of all says as for me, I don't care what the rest of you think, it's going his way, is it not? As for me, nothing's going to stop it. I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain, which, by the way, is on the earth, which, by the way, is in Jerusalem. So it's, a, it's on the earth. It's Jewish. It's Jerusalem. I have installed my king, and then now Jesus breaks in, speaking on behalf of his father. I will surely tell the decree of the Lord he said to me, you, have, you are my son, today I've begotten you. Speaking of Jesus' resurrection. Ask of me, he already asked, by the way. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance. That's political. That's literal. It's not figurative. It's not in heaven. It's not in the pie, in the sky, by and by. It's not the ethereal realms. It's terra firma, guys. It's where the nations, they're not up there, they're down here. I will give you the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. It's earthly, it's Jewish, it's Jerusalem, right, Zion. It's eternal because of the one who takes possession of it. So again, you have these commentaries over this Davidic promise that we read about. Here's another commentary in Psalms written by David himself. We looked at this last time we were together. The Lord said to my Lord, 
So David's looking down the pipe of prophecy of future events that's going to take place after his lifetime. He sees, among other things, that, that there is one of his descendants who he's going to call Lord. That requires that descendant to be God, because you don't call anybody Lord but God himself. The Lord said to my Lord, so God the Father says to my God the Son, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion. It's not in heaven. That's on the earth. That's Jewish, and it's in Jerusalem. It's a mountain of the Jews. Saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Again, like I said, you're going around the room, and God says, as for me. Well, I don't care what the whole room says. It's going to go his way. Even if the whole enemy, the whole rule, say, all, the, all the enemies say, no, it's not. It is, because he's king. So Psalm 110, here's uh, a critical one for this time of year, certainly. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Two chapters later, referring to the same child, it says this. This is one we read every Christmas. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us through a virgin, right? And the, I underlined that, but it's not underlined in your Bibles, I know. I'm going to take the underlining away. shouldn't write in the Bible. I wrote it on the screen. That's all I did. The government, notice, that's political. It won't be politics. It'll be absolute monarch. That's literal. That's not figurative. The government will rest on his shoulders. Well, that's talking about heaven. Listen, government has always rested on his shoulders there. He's talking about something yet to be. It will happen. It hasn't already happened. It will. The government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. See, that's, again, why, what are our problems? And not to blame everything on the devil, but we have a problem with the devil down here. He's the king. He's the king. Things can only get so good here. And they can only last so long as good. Because really, our king is going to see to it that they all go down the toilet because that's his way. We have a king problem, and there's a coming king who's going to reverse all this stuff. And we're going to call him Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father. There we go. An everlasting king coming from David. That's what we got to have, the Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of, there it is again, of his government and of peace. We just gloss over these passages not really realizing what they're saying. And there it is, on the throne of David, which is what? It's earthly, it's Jewish, it's Jerusalem, and because of the one who reigns on it, it's eternal. To establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on forevermore. And then you ask the question, how could that be possible? And he gives you the answer right there, the zeal of the Lord will accomplish it. It needs to be good enough. It needs to be good enough. Well, I don't see how that's going to happen. Well, too bad. So with all this as background, now we're ready for the, that was just the first tenth of my sermon. Now we're ready for, I'm just kidding. I'm going to get you out of here, I promise. Maybe even early. With all this, we can understand why Zacharias says what he says at his son's own circumcision. He doesn't even talk about his son. He talks about this horn of David being raised up. Why? Because that's the big thing here. His son's going to live, is going to die, just like the rest of us, and serve his purpose according to the will of God, but that he foreruns this one who's coming to sit on the throne. That's the big thing. 
That's the thing that matters above everything else, and that's the reason why he's so jazzed over all of it. That's the reason we can understand why he says what he says. That's the reason why we can understand why the angels are so certain to say that Jesus is going to rule on David's throne. Because it's a culmination of so much stuff. That's why the angel is so careful to acknowledge that Joseph was the son of David, you see. That Mary was the descendant of David. That's why they go out of their way to say stuff like that. They don't pick any other ancestors. That's why Jesus was born in the city of David, right? You know what they normally called it? Not that. They normally called it, what's, what's the town that Jesus was born in? Bethlehem. That's what they called it. But when the angels go out to visit the shepherds who are in the fields outside of Bethlehem, they know what the town is called. They don't call it Bethlehem. What do they call it? Well, to you today in the city of David... Why not call it what it's regularly called? Because they're making a point, you see. Why, why does God stop earth processes and get a king who's worth endless money called Caesar to levy a tax against the whole world because somehow he needs more money? And, and that so happens to send this young couple, both descendants of David, one very pregnant, to the city of David so that he can be born there. Why? Because it had to be that way. So you've got to understand that. You have to understand. These are not happenstances. This, there, there, is, there is something that God is conveying to us. He's taking care of all of it. He's sweeping through in this one who's this great one, this eternal one, who's going to reign on the throne of David forever. He's saying, here he is. This is it. We can also understand why Jesus, when he began to preach and especially began to do miracles, why the Jews who understood this wanted to immediately make him king. Let's make him king and let's get this over with and let's get the eternal kingdom going. Don't you want Jesus to reign too? Haven't you heard that you're supposed to pray? You know, Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom. Come where? And thy will be done on earth as it is and it's always been done that way in heaven this is where the problem is this is where we got a king issue so we're praying he says pray this way that the king would come let it be your focus it'd be the first thing in my prayers is that the first thing in your prayers that god would be praised and that his king would become because the first thing i do is start talking about all my problems and all the things that i need and i know that's not what he said to do y'all that's not the big deal this is the big deal this is the stuff you need to be focused on, and yeah, he's taking care of your problems, and he's, he's all into that. It's not that it doesn't matter to him. It does. So, so we can understand why they wanted to force him to be king, because they wanted to see this happen. We can also understand why when he rides into the Jerusalem on the donkey on, on the day of uh, Palm Sunday, and they begin to sing to him, Hosanna to the son of David, you see. He's descended from Abraham, he's descended from Jacob, he's descended from Isaac, he's descended from Ruth, he's descended from all these great ancestors. Why do they pick David? Because it's David's that's the issue. It's not David, but it's the promise made to David that's the issue. They said David's been dead for a long time. But it's the promise made to David that they're wanting to see to come together, and they're believing that this one on the donkey is the guy, and in fact they were right. But they missed something about him. See, they thought that he was going to be this, and that, that Jesus was going to accomplish all this. In fact, even when he accomplished our, our salvation, see, they didn't realize their problem was, first of all, eternal. Our problems were internal. Don't you know, your biggest problem is you. And it's the way you think, and it's the things that you do, and it's the king you follow. And until you get those things straightened out, I'm sorry, you're going to continue to have problems. You're, you're, you're going to be the big, your biggest problem, I should say. 
there's still other problems, but you're going to be your biggest problem until you get your king issue straightened up, until you get your life straightened out and made right with the king. And he came to save us from that very thing, these sins that have caused us to separate us from God. And that's the big issue, that he first of all is king for you. King of the universe, that's happening. I said, as for me, my king is going to be set on Zion. That's happening. But right now, you have an option to make it right with the king before he comes. And you need to avail yourself of that option. Definitely do. So, so, but even when he had come and done that, he had died for our sins and had resurrected and was there for 40 days with his disciples. They still expected that, that they were, he was going to put the kingdom together right there in front of them. They were asking him, saying, Lord, is it not at this time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Why would they ask something like that? Because it predicted that. And they knew that he's the guy. What does Jesus say? Stop looking at your watches, boys. It's not time yet. It is not for you to know the times or epics which the Father has fixed in his own authority. If he was ever going to say, that's a bunch of baloney, that's not really going to happen, he would have said it right there. He does not. Why? Because it's not baloney. It is a literal kingdom. It is going to be early kingdom. It is going to be Jewish kingdom. It is going to be Jerusalem kingdom. It is going to be all those things. But this isn't the time, he says. See the Jews as they're looking down the pipe of prophecy. And they're looking in the Old Testament. They see these peaks of the things that Jesus is going to do, both save us from our sins, this Messiah who's coming, and also take over the kingship of the earth. They see this, you see. But, but have you ever traveled in western states where there's big mountains? Some of you are from western states. You know, when you're a long ways from mountains, 30, 50, 60, 100 miles, you see these big mountains on the horizon. They look like they're all sandwiched together, don't they? you got a big mountain here, a big mountain there. It looks like they're standing beside each other. Then when you get up close, you find out that this mountain is 30 miles from this mountain. And there's a huge valley in between them. You know what I'm talking about? If you've never been there, you think, oh, these mountains are all stuck together. They're not. They're separated. Miles. Valleys in between. Same is true as you look at the mountain peaks of the first and second coming of Jesus in the Old Testament. looks like they're stuck together. It was impossible for the Jews as they looked far ahead into these things that the scriptures predicted to see that the Messiah would both come a one time to save us from our sins and another time to save the rest of everything else. It was too hard for them to see. They thought it was going to be one and the same. That's the reason why they asked the things that they do right here. So they didn't see it. Right now we're in the valley, 2,000 year valley between the two peaks of Jesus' first coming and his return to his and his ultimately second coming. But when he comes that time, that's when things like this are going to be so. From his mouth, you talk about a king, like I said, it's going to be political, but there won't be any politics. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. That's on the earth. It's not up there. Nations aren't giving him a problem up there. This is the problem. He will rule them with a rod of iron. Where? Down here where nations are. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has written, a king of kings and lord of lords. He's always been king in heaven, always been lord. The problem is that there's been kings and lords down here trying to usurp. So it's going to happen here. Father, it says it over and over and over and over again. Don't know what to tell you other than there it is. Here it is. The kingdom of this world have become, this is the second coming, not until then, has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah. That was the title they gave to all the Jewish kings. And he will reign, there it is, forever and ever and ever. Again, notice it's earthly, it's political, no politics, but it is controlling literal nations. It is Jewish, we've already seen it's Jerusalem, 
and definitely is eternal. It's at this time then these things come into play, Matthew 25. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, comes, what does that mean? He's got it from somewhere to somewhere, right? So he comes from where? Up there to where else? Down here. From up there to down here, when he comes in his glory with all his angels. So what should we expect? Jesus to come here with all his angels, just like it says. Then he will sit on his glorious throne, which is an earthly throne, which is a Jerusalem throne, which is a Jewish throne, which is an eternal throne. Then, and all the nations, this is where they are, will be gathered before him, and he will be separating them like a shepherd does, one from another. As he separates the sheep, it says, from the goats. What a change compared to today. No more two-party system. No more... Praise God. No more house and senate. No more judiciary. It's all going to be summed up in him, the monarch, the king. You see, we're monarchists here. We're not Democrats or Republicans. We're monarchists. Because why? We're looking, the Bible tells us, to look for that king, the promise to David. Why are they so big about David? Not because David matters, but the promise to David matters. The promise to David was that his throne would be eternal, his kingdom would be eternal, and it'd be ruled by an eternal person. That person has already come once. He's come once to save us from our biggest problem, which is ourselves, which is our own sin. And you've got to get yourself oriented correctly with him. He's come and laid himself out to you, and now it's your decision. It's not enough to know he's the Savior. It's not enough to know he's the King. You have to personally accept him. Have you done that? personally accept i accept your kingship over my life think of a turn i don't know i can't give you a prayer to pray but come up with something you have to personally get yourself straight with the king because i'm telling you this king and his rulership are going to be imposed on this earth and it whatever side you're on is going to make a big difference it's going to be huge so you need to decide you got a shot right now it's your life this is your shot because when it's over and when this happens, it's really going to be over, for sure. And it's going to be separations, and there's going to be decisions made, and it will be final, and it will be complete, and you need to make sure you're on the right side when that happens. I'm going to ask if you would bow your heads and close your eyes as we think about the things that God has said to us today. Lord God, we look forward to your great king that's coming. In fact, we pray that he would come just like you taught us to, and that his will would be done on this earth exactly as it is in heaven. We have no concept of how awesome that will be. God, I pray for the person here, the person who is still on the outside of a relationship with you. I know you said in your scriptures very clearly that we can know for sure that we have eternal life and that we belong to you. And it has everything to do with who you are and where you are in our lives. In fact, your scriptures say, He who has the Son has the life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. I pray, Lord, for a person who's still on the fence, still uncertain, that today they would make the decision not just to know about you, but to know you personally by accepting you as king. Lord, we know that you're going to come. And we know, God, that you've sent us as your ambassadors between these two mountain peaks of your first and second coming to make a difference, to, to win as many as we can, to tell the truth, to let the truth get out. Lord, I pray that nothing would stop us. 
Lord, we would reorient ourselves to that priority as we look forward to your rulership. Lord, we want you to rule over us, though, today, right now, in every way. Thank you, God, for speaking to us and for your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptist.org.